Today is going to be an episode about intimate partner violence. So this is a trigger warning. If this is something you've experienced, or maybe this may not be the particular episode for you, we just want you to know that there will be talk about intimate partner violence in comparison to domestic violence and all of the things that unfortunately come along with that. So if this isn't the episode for you, this is probably the time to go ahead and click next. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2, the safe space created for Black women by Black women to strip away the taboo of talking about mental health. You'll hear from mental health professionals and advocates as well as Black women sharing their experiences as we break down the complexities, explore ways to heal, and support each other. My name is Ashley, I'm your host. Whether you're a seasoned regular or this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much for your support. Now let's get into today's episode. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. I'm your host, Ashley, and welcome to another episode. Um, we have Dr. Son Stevens back with us, a licensed psychologist. And um, Dr. Stevens is a, she is a staple on the podcast. Um, if you haven't heard an episode with her before, you're in for a treat. Um, she always brings lots of gems. So Dr. Stevens, do you want to do a quick introduction? Thank you, Ms. Ashley. I'm Dr. Stevens, licensed psychologist um, in the state of Florida for about, licensed for about um, 15 years, been practicing a little bit over that. Um, specialties you know, for pretty much working with children, um, adolescents, that's where I started, but I work across developmental life um, span and really feel like my passion is certainly in providing service to others. So I do a lot of volunteer work as well as some research and um, a corporation really focuses on working in um, legal, legal advocacy, economic development, mental health awareness for women and children and um, who are poor. I do a little bit, um, have my hands in quite a few pots. Yes, Dr. Stevens is, is working her magic over there. It's awesome. Um, we definitely appreciate you taking out some time to come on the podcast um, and to talk to our community. So thank you again. So Dr. Stevens, can you explain to people what intimate partner violence is? Definitely. It's, it's violence, um, any form in terms of emotional, physical, emotional clothing, like manipulation, physical um, and sexual abuse between either partners of the same gender, partners of different genders. Sometimes in the same household, more often than not, oftentimes in the same household of individuals who um, have a relationship for a specific amount of time. And so these types of you know, violence, like I said, they span and they include you know, some of your typical forms of more generally of domestic violence, but also we see oftentimes many more forms of like psychological violence, including like manipulation and emotional abuse. Yeah. And I know that this was, um, you'd, you'd originally brought up bringing up this topic and I had never heard of that particular name, intimate partner violence. So in comparison to domestic violence, like what's the major differences between the two? So the primary difference, you know, certainly is the typically the romantic relationship between um, individuals. Oftentimes um, we see 
other forms and more general forms of domestic violence, which is between like maybe family members. So between parents and children, between children themselves, maybe a caretaker or a caretaker toward um, an older adult, you know, these forms of domestic violence that occur within the same household, where specifically IPV is between those romantic partners. And again, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, um, and I think oftentimes, you know, we've taught more so, so familiar with uh, man or woman violence, which is certainly a major, major, major problem. But we also have a lot of challenges with couples of the same gender, you know, in terms of like violence between um, same-sex partners, and then not as often, more so female or woman on male violence. And I, I bring that up to say, again, oftentimes, like we see that first scenario, but, you know, for men who are being battered, I do think it's important, you know, certainly for us to highlight that and to talk about that men, you know, certainly can undergo IPV as well or intimate partner, partner violence. Definitely, definitely. I know that you you listed some um, different types of intimate partner violence from emotional to physical, sexual abuse, and I believe you said psychological. Can you kind of dive into each of those for me? Certainly. So, like, let's talk a little bit about sexual, um, the sexual abuse. Maybe we'll start off with that, and then we'll talk about the uh, some of the other forms, more of the nuanced forms. So, you know, start with sexual abuse. Certainly, you can have more outright demonstrative examples of sexual abuse where a person is forcing you to engage in a sexual act, any type of sexual act against your will, you know? But also like we've seen or not seen, but there are so examples of partners forcing them to engage in sexual acts, you know, with people of, you know, outside of their relationships as well, you know, and certainly using other forms of, of, of violence, of manipulation in order to make that person feel um, guilty, certainly endeared to that partner in order to engage in, in those acts. You know, so oftentimes it is between the two partners, but we do see, you know, or there are examples of partners forcing their partners who are undergoing the violence, you know, to engage in um, forceful acts. There's, you know, certainly are um, examples of verbal, verbal abuse. You know, I don't necessarily, I forget, I, I don't know if I mentioned that, but, you know, certainly in terms of using derogatory names, talking down to a person, you know, certainly you may not necessarily say or use inappropriate words, but talking down to a person, condemning a person, making them feel persecuted, um, and certainly, and then, of course, using, like, verbal, like, more so, like, your more exa- general example of verbal aggression in terms of cursing at individuals, raising your voice, using an intimidating um, tone or demeanor, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, you can say your words can actually sound very nice, but certainly if you say them in an intimidating way, you know, especially, you know, if you have a presence and not necessarily saying that you have to be tiring and, and, and large, but certainly if you have, but let's say if you have an individual who is very hefty and certainly they can use their physical presence and along with the verbal aggression in order to intimidate a person, right. you know, so the verbal and certainly the emotional abuse, like those sort, those run hand in hand oftentimes. Mm-hmm. And then of course, um, and along with that, we have our psych- psychological abuse. And of course, that this is more nuanced and it wasn't something that wasn't really recognized until, you know, more recently. And I say more recently over the past like 30 to 40 years in terms of 
really understanding like psychological abuse, you know, and again, you know, we see the examples of, or people being manipulated. Certainly they are, they're feeling persecuted and more so um, compelled to help this individual, you know, um, so, you know, we talk about like Stockholm syndrome or like the batterer syndrome where a person undergoes any or all types of these um, forms of abuse. And they, again, feel endeared to this person. They can't necessarily rat this person out, quote unquote, or they are um, like, they take this person's perspective at all times, especially let's say if they're working with a provider or they're talking with their friends or their parents and, 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 this person, I'll call them caretaker. They're trying to point out to the person who's undergoing these forms of violence. You know, just sort of using that mirror technique. That person's like, well, you know, they always had a hard day, you know, and they do so yeah. much for the home. And again, you know, like diminishing and minimizing their own perspective to their own detriment in order to elevate that individual's perspective and certainly in their worldview. And again, to the detriment of, of themselves and also oftentimes to their families. Wow, that's, that, there's so much, there's so much in those different types of abuses. Um, I know when it comes to psychological abuse, I didn't realize that was a part of it. I think, I guess subconsciously I kind of did, but I don't think, like you said, it's as talked about as much as the other forms of abuse. And then going back to sexual abuse, I. I feel like there may be a stigma around sexual abuse between partners because in, I, I feel like people may not understand that that is, you're still able to say no just because you're in a relationship with someone or you're married to someone, you still have a right to your own body and your own autonomy and what, what you want to be a part of and what you don't. And like, I'm, is that a form of psychological abuse? If, if somebody's continually pushing somebody into, into obviously doing something that they don't want to do? Very much so. And those are really good examples. And I'm trying to remember the HBO show of the writer Chewing Gum. I don't know if you watched the show. Yes. On, uh, um, YouTube. Um, she had the um, series. Yes. That was yes. just, you know, certainly very sensitive, very sensitive topic, but it really did highlight all forms of abuse, right? Yes. So, you know, certainly with her character, and um, I guess I should say that <laughs> I'm sort of revealing, you know, if you haven't seen the series, maybe pause here or skip Spoiler over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Thank you. <laughs> you know, but certainly like she so showed, you know, in terms of like more classical examples of uh, being a sexual um, or being sexually abused mm -hmm. and then other forms. Right, and, and exactly what you're saying. And, and one of the characters like, was compelled or felt compelled to mm -hmm. say yes. Mm -hmm. And certainly he used, well, it was a he in this case, like he used very manipulative tactics in order to make her feel bad anytime she said no. You know, and often, you know, and I, and I brought to an example of an outreach event that I did when I was down in South Florida, you know, and we were talking about more so like just domestic violence. And, you know, we had a little feature about intimate partner violence. And I had a participant, a male participant came up. He said, oh, I don't need to worry about that anymore. I'm married. I said, oh, my goodness, no. I said, may I educate you? And he was a bit hesitant at first, you know, and suddenly came in. And you could tell that he was demonstrably very uncomfortable. He was like, but, you know, so each time I gave him examples, you know, of the ways that 
sometimes maybe um, a partner may force and may force um, and, and certainly when I say force, it may not necessarily be like physical force, you know, certainly like, you know, oh, you know, we haven't had sex in two weeks, you know, and I'm really built up, you know, those are one of the um, examples we use. And he's like, but that's okay. That's okay. I said, oh but, you, you know, I said, well, let's think about, you know, your wife's perspective. I said, was she really willing? And he was like, I'm so uncomfortable. I got to go. I'm like, and, you know, of course, me being wow. a psychologist, I did quite let him go. I'm like, well, you know, just sit with the discomfort. It's okay, you know, but I would invite you to have a conversation with your wife, you know, yeah. and it was very eye-opening for him, you know, and sadly, we had many conversations, you know, with um, partners who, again, dismissed maybe any forms of, like, manipulation and sex with their partners, because they were married, you know? And like you said, and as you pointed out, like you are allowed, whether in a, in a committed relationship or, you know, something like a casual relationship to say no. You're very, that's very much in your right. And there's nothing that an individual can say or convince you, you know, to certainly to pressure you to feel that way. Right. Wow. That's, it's it's so eye-opening to, to kind of even think about how much, um, and I don't want to focus particularly on men that are in like heterosexual relationships, but I think that there's a stigma that comes with ma masculinity that kind of tells men that are maybe in a relationship with a woman or maybe in a marriage with a woman that um, society has kind of told them for a long time that once the ring is on her finger, like she's yours. Mm -hmm. um, and that is yours as in like your couch, your car, your property mm -hmm. to do with as you want. And so I think it's super important to break that down and to educate people. Like that's awesome that you had a chance to actually pull this person aside and give him, you know, the fact that he was at least open enough to kind of hear some of what you're saying. Uh -huh. um, but it's, it's kind of scary that even, even just that little amount scared mm -hmm. them off and mm -hmm. kind of went, oh, whoa, that could be me. Like, I'm not, mm -hmm. nobody wants to think of themselves as an abuser. Of course. But when you look at the behaviors and if some of them start to match and that's when you have to like do some, do some digging on yourself. Very much so, very much so. And, and certainly it's not a very pleasant process, but most things around change aren't. Yeah. That's, that's so true. And going back to, um, I know that you mentioned a, an amazing series, actually just looked it up, um, by Michaela Cole. So if you've ever watched Chewing Gum, um, which I think is still on Netflix, mm -hmm. uh, Michaela Cole uh, wrote and directed that series, but she also wrote and directed another series called I May Destroy You. And I completely yes. forgot that she made this amazing series. Um, again, this series is triggering there's a lot of trigger warnings that come with this particular series um i think from like drug addiction to of course sexual abuse i think psychological trauma might also be listed on there but if this is something that you want to explore it's a really good perspective on basically the journey that it may that somebody may go through from um when the abuse occurred to sometimes forgetting or forgetting pieces of the abuse that occurred and forgetting the night and the body just kind of, uh, and I don't know, I'm, I think that this is like a psychological 
like protection that your brain does where you're just forgetting traumatic things that happened to you. And then slowly later on, you get, you start to peel layers back, but that's kind of what happens in this particular series. And so I won't give it away, but basically there is this journey of this particular woman who underwent sexual violence Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and yeah, so it's, it's a long journey and it's, it's pretty heavy to watch, but it was really interesting to watch this particular person's journey and how it wasn't just one encounter. It was a couple and then certain people taking advantage because they knew certain things that happened. So yeah, definitely give it a watch if you can, if you're up for it. Very Very well done. Yes. Very well done. Um, I think it's awesome to kind of see it from a woman's perspective. I've seen a lot of movies like that from a men's perspective, not to say that men can't undergo intimate partner violence or domestic violence but in particular I think sometimes um, especially when like the Me Too movement was coming out there was just a lot of people questioning well you know it was the person's the way they were dressed or it was you know they put themselves in this situation or they shouldn't have took these Mm -hmm. drugs and you know Mm -hmm. once you do that your body is belongs to whoever decides they want to take advantage of it Um, but this particular series is awesome so again it is called i may destroy you i'm pretty sure it's on netflix it might be on hulu but it was uh written by michaela cole so when we look at somebody that's in a relationship with uh in they're in a relationship whether it be you know a regardless of gender or anything like that what are some red flags that somebody should keep an, an eye out for um in regards to intimate partner violence you know, definitely. Um, so someone in terms of the person who is the the friend or the family member, like um, those red flags? Yeah, let's start there with the friend okay. or family member. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think some of the classical signs in terms of the individual wearing like inappropriate clothing for the weather, right? So oftentimes like wearing long sleeves and turtlenecks sweaters, jackets, um, whenever they're in um, crowded places or places with, you know, family members or friends who, you know, very familiar with this individual's um, behaviors. And then, you know, in terms of like also like some other signs that include where with the individual, like you started to notice maybe a change in this person's personality where they are are they engaged in forms of persecutory thought, meaning that they um, condemn themselves, they are condemning everything that they do, or maybe they even uh, condemn things that other people do, you know? So like where you you see like a, just a, oftentimes like a major shift or change in this person's like personality, um, you know, certainly. Um, I think along with that, where the individual is, taking the perspective of their partner to, and again, like you may notice that they're taking the perspective and not necessarily say that partners don't do that, you know, in healthy relationships, but the person does it and it's a pattern and more so to the detriment to the most that person's, um, well, it's more so to the detriment of that individual. And oftentimes they may lack the awareness of, you know, what they're doing, because again, it's just, pattern, chronic um, 
routine where you notice in this individual oftentimes taking the perspective of the um, of the partner who may be perpetuating the, the form of violence. You know, I think some other examples, you know, oftentimes includes like where the individual is refusing like to do things or participating in like social activities that they normally would, right? You know, and then and of course, you know, so like I think like those are some of the four common ways where, you know, where family members and, and friends may notice those changes in um, their, in the friend, you know, who, who they you know, may believe is undergoing this, um, this form of violence. So like, those are some of the ways that we often see that like manifest. Mm-hmm. And then of course, like a lot of other ways, but, but again, this is just more so like you see a psychological change, like where this individual is engaging in like learned helplessness, mm. right? So they, is it, it's more so like where you see you no know, separation between them and the other individual. Their thoughts is the other person's thoughts, you know? And I think it also works like a little bit, or it, or it also works, you know, like when we look at like, uh, like the cycle of abuse in terms of where the individual, you know, is, innate, is unable to engage in or, or, or to engage in and uh, executing like their own decisions. Mm-hmm. So they lack volition. They lack the ability, certainly, to identify what their needs are and assert that from the world, right, from people around them, from, let's say, if they, you know, are working from their work environment. So, you know, like, you may notice, like, this very passive individual just passing through life. Mm. Wow. And for someone that I I'm, I know I've heard about this before um, about like when people get married or maybe they are, are in a relationship where there's intimate partner violence um, and maybe it's not yet physical maybe it is a lot of psychological verbal and so people aren't necessarily seeing it uh, seeing any evidence of it physically I have heard of like people basically de- displacing these individuals from their families, whether it be like not allowed, not allowing them to go to like family events or like mm-hmm. you were saying, um, just the normal things that they would go to with friends or going as far as like moving them to another place where they know that there's no support. Is that a part of like the cycle? Oh, very much so, you know, and, and I think just like um, the perspective taking, like where the individual is, and oftentimes like using psychological forms of violence in order to make the person feel bad, you know, about doing the things that they normally would do, but not necessarily the things they normally would do, but things that they also enjoy doing, right? right. Certainly condemning them, like whenever they go outside of, you know, the home, you should be here taking care of the home. How can I trust you? You know, and again, like these are forms of manipulation in order to make the person feel guilt-ridden and compelled, you know, to, um, I say honor, but more so um, like to like engage in, 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 in that like persecutory thought pattern mm-hmm. again to their own detriment. Right. And certainly a part of that is that we see individuals withdrawing from social activities with friends. And it also works, you know, certainly in terms of forms of 
maybe sexual or physical violence. So when things start to happen to that individual, they don't have opportunities to process, you know, what's happening with family members. They've, again, through that form of learned helplessness, they learn or they adopt their perspective that it doesn't really matter. It's not going to really change this person mm. is how they are. Not that I'm, I can say we really help this. And of course, the family members or our friends or caretakers, whoever, aren't going to be able, you know, or don't notice those because, or those signs, because they're not present. That individual's right. not present during these activities. Right. So, you know, we see it on, you know, certainly both sides. And it certainly facilitates this cycle, you know, of where this individual and the persons who, who is perpetuating the violence, they're in this cycle and, you know, it's very isolated and oftentimes extremely depressing yeah. you know, for the individual yeah. who's undergoing the violence. So I know that we're talking a lot about the people that are victims in dom- domestic violence. So to, I want to switch over to the person that is perpetuating the, the intimate partner violence. Are there any connections with people who are violent within relationships or domestically with potentially their childhood? Or maybe if they saw somebody, uh, they saw their parents being, being violent toward, toward each other, is there any connection to that person then growing up and then being in a similar type of relationship? So, I, you know, I hesitate to say connection because I think, you know, a lot of times in society, we always want to find reasons to account for like why a person is the way they are, you know. And so more so what, what I will say is that there is some research that, that shows that there's an association, you know, between witnessing forms of violence perpetuated, you know, in, in your household as a child, you know, and certainly engaging in those same behaviors, you know, certainly as an adult, you know, part of that reason why we see that is that it becomes like a form of coping, right, or in terms of like problem solving. So, and, and again, you know, and I think we've talked about this a lot on, on other uh, podcasts in terms of like how your early childhood experiences are so very formative in the sense of where they give you a blueprint, a blueprint you know, in terms of like how you can go about enacting life, how you go about engaging in different coping mechanisms, how do you go about engaging in problem solving techniques? And certainly, you know, for healthier households, you're engaging in processing and dialoguing, you know, as opposed to acting out um, in violent ways, you know, like certainly we see individuals using those tactics and certainly the opposite you know, where in maybe more violent um, households where children witness um, acts of, of violence. Sometimes certainly they engage in those same coping mechanisms or they allow, um, or that becomes an acceptable way in order to problem solve. Wow. And, and it's more so, you know, like after once the fences have been worn down you know, because of like, let's say the stress at work and, you know, just through all the other travails of life, sometimes that default becomes, you know, here's an acceptable or, or a permissible form of like um, problem solving, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to engaging in um, like more thoughtful decision-making in terms of saying, okay, maybe it's time for me to take a step back here, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think a lot of times that's how, how we see, or often that's more so how we see that this cycle, this generational cycle becomes perpetuated. Mm. 
Wow. So I, I saw that according to the National Domestic Violence Abuse Hotline, it can take the victims seven times before leaving for good. Like, is there a psychology behind why they return to the relationship? I, I know, of course, there are lots of different reasons. I know from having kids to being like financially mm-hmm. de- dependent on somebody to not necessarily having, you know, anyone else to go to, but is there a psychology behind that? Well, very much so. You know, and I think that goes back to like the Stockholm or batterer um, syndrome that we talked about. And, and so we say like batterer because that's more so victim blaming. So like the, the Stockholm syndrome, you know, where the person who's undergoing the forms of violence, they more so ally themselves, you know, with the person who's perpetuating the violence. You know, um, a little bit earlier, you know, I mentioned how um, the person who's undergoing the violence their perspective, their thoughts, their feelings become one and the same with a perpetuator, right? A perpetrator, I should say, the perpetrator of that violence. And so oftentimes, you know, like we see certainly that cycle that's maintained because of certainly the form of psychological um, mistreatment that has happened chronically and certainly over a long um, period of time because this individual is more so in the mindset that you know, certainly that they're going to get better, that they won't do this, they won't hurt them anymore, they won't hurt them as bad. And like you mentioned, you know, that there are also um, some secondary gains in the sense of financial security, right? And not just financial security in terms of security for children, you know, security of home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also maintaining um, certainly the lifestyle that you are accustomed to, right? There's a fear that's associated with that. And oftentimes, you know, a, a fear associated with, and um, we talked a little bit about, about this earlier in terms of the stigma of being outed as being um, an individual who violence is perpetrated against. And certainly for the perpetrator of looking like a bad guy. Right. You know, and certainly see that that, you know, certainly that cycle can, can may continue because of a lot of these reasons that is uh, allowing the person who the violence is perpetrated against and the person's perpetrating the violence, they're in this, you know, called like a lovesick triangle. Mm. It is a really um, unhealthy form. Well, it's not necessarily love, but it's an unhealthy form of connection that binds these individuals together. And this cycle operates lock and step. You know, and it goes, it's oftentimes very prescribed. Mm-hmm. You know, we see this relationship going through these stages, gets it in that stage, nothing happens, and it goes right back to that stage. And so it becomes like a dance. Mm. The lovesick dance. Oh, wow. The lovesick dance. Whew. And, and so I know that we talked about, like, you know, obviously financial means of staying with someone, obviously being able to have shelter, um, being able to kind of keep up keep up with keep up the overall appearance mm-hmm. um but also i, I want to throw in there i know uh, we mentioned it earlier but if you are not in this like heterosexual man woman relationship um and somebody is maybe in a same-sex relationship or maybe maybe you know the partners maybe they're in like a, a polyamorous like relationship or something like that mm-hmm. something that um is I feel like we just don't see as many reports 
uh, about domestic violence or intimate partner violence, if it doesn't look like this quote unquote, like societal acceptable mm-hmm. uh, man, woman violence where the man mm-hmm. is a perpetrator and the woman is a victim. So when it is, do, do you feel like there's a stigma around maybe violence, intimate partner violence within the LGBTQ community? Oh, very much so, very much so, you know, and I think a lot of times or, you know, can often um, be perpetuated because again, because of the stigma that's associated, you know, with one in terms of maybe possibly outing, you know, yourself or outing your lifestyle, you know, to individuals who may, you know, condemn you um, and certainly who don't understand lifestyle, but also being, um, uh, and more so um, identifying yourself as a person who, who violence is being perpetrated against, mm-hmm. right? And certainly seeing that, um, and, and and I think, and oftentimes, certainly as a society, we've not been very um, supportive of, of individuals, and I'll call them like, um, um, you know, certainly are, well, more so in terms of like our traditional or conventional like heterosexual relationships, like as a society, we've not been very supportive of individuals in um, same sex or polyamorous or, you know, or relationships that, you know, I would say are not necessarily part of the convention, right? you know, and so that is um, the movie or series that we talked about, I May Destroy You, like they explored that example, you know, certainly of an individual who was engaged in, um, um, I say a less conventional form of, of, of a relationship. And so when this individual went to the um, authorities to report their form of, of violence, they were negated, certainly and minimized. And that happens more often than not, you know? And so it becomes certainly not necessarily their own lived experience, but the lived experience of others. And so with that others lived experience it oftentimes, reduces the likelihood that individuals will continue to come forward. Right, right. And, and I can't imagine like being in this situation where you're, you're kind of scared to, like you said, either if you're not, I guess, open to the public about your relationship or even just having a general fear of interacting with the police, depending on where you're living, that may mm-hmm. not be a good experience either. Um, mm-hmm. and then adding on race on top of that mm-hmm. um, if you're a black or brown person also feeling like this fear of like if I call the cops and let's say it's two men that are in a relationship fighting is this going to turn out you know worse than mm-hmm. it already is and I also know that in particular trans women of color um, trans women in general but trans women yes. of color are not just perpetrated against when it come, becomes yes. comes to violence but in particular they are they are killed at a really high rate yes within intimate partner violence and that's just really devastating and the numbers un- unfortunately continue to grow i think as yes the more that the more visibility that trans people have i think is great um, but i think that there's a long way to go when particularly intimate partner violence for that particular community ends yes. up being uh, ending in death more often than not, but also, you know, going to the police. I know that historically that has not gone well 
for them going to the police and trying to report things because of the stigma around just being a trans woman. Mm -hmm. Very much so. So I want to certainly thank you and echo certainly that sentiment Um, and certainly the fact that Black trans women are who undergo just tremendous forms of violence because of certainly the stigma that society has and and oftentimes certainly the stigma associated with being Black and trans, you know, and so we see that those individuals where the experiences are minimized and they're not treated as women, right, and their, their stories and their experiences are not validated. And so like that becomes um, perpetuated when we see um, more acute forms of violence, you know, again, right, where they are um, certainly killed at an alarming rate, you know, sort of a more so perpetuated, like they have violence perpetuated at them, right? Mm-hmm. And certainly, you know, so certainly as a society, we have a lot of work to do in terms of supporting our trans sisters. We really do. And so, yes. you know, again, thank you for that. Yes, definitely, definitely. I, I know that, so we've, we've talked a lot about the intimate partner violence and, and what that looks like, you know, as it's beginning in the cycle of when you're in it. Um, but for somebody that has, you know, they've been trying to leave and finally they've left this relationship um, and they've either had someone help them or had resources that have helped them or have been placed in a shelter or something of that nature. Like once that, the, the kind of recovery, I don't know if that's the right word to call it, but the recovery stage, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. does that look like? And maybe what can someone expect that maybe in a relationship where there is IPV, what can they expect once they leave? Well, very much in the sense that recovery is never linear, one. And I think that's really important, you know, in the sense that, you know, certainly the desire to return to the relationship, to return to what's known, right, what's comfortable is very normal for this process, right? Because regardless of how long this individual was um, undergoing IPB, guess what? It became their norm. And not only did it become the norm, like they rationalized it, you know, so it was more deep deeply processed in the brain in terms of being okay, you know, and certainly um, undergoing or undoing that process is not necessarily simple, simple, as simple as saying, well, this person perpetuates violence against men, they got to get out, you know, it requires certainly a lot of untangling, a lot of untangling of associations, certainly the processing of the fear associated with that, certainly perpetuate, or excuse me, processing, um, you know, certainly just not only the fear, of leaving the situation, but also the fear associated with that this person will target you and hurt you. Right. And that's a very normal and under, not only just normal and understandable fear, but I think that's a valid concern for a lot of individuals because guess what? You know, you have went against like what that unstated uh, relation, that unstated agreement was. You know, I do these things. When I do these things, guess what? You know, yes, we, we go through our things, but we come back and we're okay. Mm-hmm. And you violated that ag- agreement, you know, and the more so taking the perspective of the perpetrator, right? And the individual knows that, right? The individual who, who has underwent the IPD, they understand that. And so they feel a sense of guilt, right? That's very normal. They feel a sense of anger, not only at, you know, at themselves, more so later in the process, but certainly anger at the individuals who maybe even got them out out of or help 
secure them out of this relationship. They feel a lot of anger. Things were okay. They weren't that bad. So a lot of minimization as well, you know? And so, you know, and I, I just give you a couple of examples, but again, since that recovery is not linear, certainly recovery is very multidimensional and everybody's recovery looks very different. Some people say, okay, just once, that's all it takes. And for others, it's years and years and years. And sometimes it's decades and sometimes it's scores, you know, in terms of when they are able. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. Hmm. Sadly enough, wow. you know, and so, you know, working with another individual where the person who perpetrated the violence um, died, you know, um, they were still married and the person died and they certainly feel a still, you know, like a sense of obligation to this individual. You know, um, and certainly they're still not able to, you know, um, process like the very real forms of, of violence that they endure for decades. Yeah. And that's got to be really tough because you're you're still mourning this loss mm -hmm. and you don't want to be too happy that this person is gone because it's like you said, it's your norm. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. I know we talk a lot about what can become your norm and what can become like your brain's just like normal way of firing mm -hmm. and the way of dealing with, with different situations mm -hmm. and how, when it, it is time to shift that, whether it be like a forced shift, if somebody is, uh, is passed mm -hmm. or you've chosen to remove yourself from the situation, that's still got to be a, a journey of kind of unlearning things and mm -hmm. creating a new norm for yourself, which is, right. which is huge. Very much so. Wow. Whew. Well, that is, this was a, I think it was a really insightful episode. As always, Dr. Stevens, like you, I, I love having you on the show. I love the perspective that you bring. And I always look forward to you coming on. Uh, I really hope that this episode was helpful for anybody that is, um, has maybe experienced intimate partner violence. Maybe you have a parent or a sibling or a friend that is experiencing intimate partner violence, please know that there will be resources in the description. There'll be a few phone numbers in there, some websites, but I really hope that if you, if you are experiencing intimate partner violence in whatever way, I really hope that you stay hopeful and find someone that can help you um, confide in someone that can maybe help you get out of the situation, use the resources that are below, um, but just know you are worthy and you deserve better. You deserve yes. to live your own life without violence. So yes. Dr. Stevens, thank you again. So, 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 so much. Thank you for having me again. Thank you guys for tuning in to yet another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. No matter where you are in the world, I really appreciate your support. See you again on the next episode, but until then, follow us on Instagram at Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 and on Twitter at Anxious Black Girls. That's Anxious BLK Girls. And remember, just because you're struggling doesn't mean you have to struggle in silence. The more we talk about it, the more we heal. Can I